Hello everybody, welcome to Success Defined. I'm Ben McDonald. Today we are joined by Eric Acton. Eric is a Chief Digital Officer, Chief Technology Officer. He has started his own, own companies and he has run teams within large corporations such as Dell, Charles Schwab, and Price Waterhouse. So I appreciate you joining us. No worries, Ben. Um, pleasure to be here. <clears throat> so I want to start out to uh, give them a little background and it's going to lead in right into what we were talking about, but you have gone back and forth with uh, large companies, right? I just listed a few really big name companies and also startups, entrepreneurship, things like that, both in an advisory role and as your own company. What are some of the differences in culture, leadership, things like that, that you've seen from the major corporations to the small startups? Um, really interesting. So I guess I was lucky enough um, in my first corporate job to be in like a a small group, an innovation group, what we call okay. now an innovation group. Okay. At the time, we kind of called it special projects, and um, you know, it may have just been a crazy idea by one of the partners who wanted to do something. Right. <laughs> um, and so, just kind of reflecting back on that, and I guess you know, subconsciously, never really realizing, I think that impacted me. Uh, that experience and some of the people I worked with really impacted me, right? Uh, you know, for, for you know, up, up, up till now in my career, and so. You know, um, in terms of uh, leadership, um, you know, one of the really interesting things is that I guess you've got different styles of leadership, right? And people have different perceptions of what leaders should be. Um, the way that I, I look at it is, um, and what I've always done with my teams, um, I've tried to be more of an inspirator. So okay. inspire people yeah. to do things. and. You know, no one, no one likes being told what to do, right? right. Everyone likes to, to kind of think it was their idea or, you know, to feel part of it, to feel empowered. Yep. And so by kind of trying to inspire people to do things, um, you give them enough, you know, you give them enough leeway to work out how to do it themselves. So you give a direction, this is what, this is what we're trying to do, a vision, um, a purpose, um, and let have confidence in the teams and the people that you're with to be able to work out how to do that to achieve those objectives and goals. And so that kind of happens a little bit differently in corporate environments and startup environments. Um, you know, startup environments, people are, are generally self-motivated, right? Um, you don't leave a corporation or you don't kind of do a startup that doesn't have an established revenue stream, you know, established pay packet and all right. the benefits and all that stuff, <laughs> without kind of you know you know putting yourself out there. Um, you know, in corporate environments, that's harder to find because, and we were talking about this earlier, and I think I've probably gone off on a tangent yeah. <laughs> from your original question. Um, but you know, in a corporate environment, um, you know, generally a business has already been established, and so you're in really protection mode, right? A, a business, a revenue stream. Right, because um, they've worked so hard to get there. Yeah, and so the goals there is to maintain that, yeah. to perhaps incrementally you know, improve it, but generally to maintain and not go backwards. Whereas in a, in a startup world, you've got nothing, and so you're you know, reaching for the stars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're willing to take a little bit more risk because you want to get to that point that the corporations that have been around for 20, 30 years, what they've already established. Yep. So you get very different types of atmospheres in both of those companies. How have you personally been able to thrive so well in such different atmospheres or environments? 
Um, good question. There's a lot of times that you kind of question yourself um, in both, right? In corporate environments, um, you have what you think is a fantastic idea for the company um, and no one wants to pursue it because it's a crazy idea. Right. Um, and in a startup world, you sometimes have doubts. It's like, I've got this great idea, but I just don't have the resource. I don't feel I have the resources. How am I going to do it? Um, so you've got to find that balance between having inner confidence in what you want to do, um, but being open to listening to outsiders, um, you know, uh, hearing criticism, but kind of having your own filter to listen to the criticism, but not take it personally. Um, okay. yeah. And to learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. Be able to take that as feedback and use that to then continue yep. innovation. Yep. Okay. Great. One of the words you use a few times, and we talked about it a little bit earlier um, prior to turning this on, was uh, intrapreneurship. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost sounds like that first major position that you had in a corporation was almost leading you towards some intrapreneurship. They push you on a put you on a special team, things like that. Um, what does the word entrepreneurship mean to you? And then we'll kind of go from there. Um, well, as I said, I was very lucky in, in, right. that, in that first, um, you know, that first period of my life uh, to be involved in that. Um, you know, I think a lot of the principles, whether it's entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, are the same, right? Okay. You need to have, you need to have a conf- an inner confidence, um, and a willingness to just try something and a willingness to try something that may not work out. And so, you know, you hear a lot these days, um, you know, about fail fast, fail quickly, right? right? Yeah. Um, failure is not a bad word. Um, you learn more from your mistakes than you do by just happening to get something right. If you get something right, chances are you could have just got lucky and you don't know it, right? <laughs> Whereas if something goes wrong, you generally have, you know, a, you reflect on that and you go through, well, at least I do, an analytical process as to why did that not work out as I envisaged or why did that not kind of succeed? And so you kind of analyze all the components and you learn from that. You're like, well, we got unlucky here. Here, we made a bad decision and we didn't recognize it quickly enough. And so I guess that's another point is that, um, you know, failure is not Boolean. It's not, you know, one or zero, stop or go, right? It's like, oh, okay, that didn't quite work out. Let's let's improve that. Let's see what we can change and, and, and you know, improve it on the next step. Yeah, no, perfect. So I, I love the topic of internal innovation, right? Because I've been able to talk to a lot of people who are business owners, talk to a couple of people who are employees, and it's easier to talk all the time about leadership and innovation, things like that, when you're talking to small companies that, like you alluded to earlier, they don't have as much to lose or shooting for the stars. But what is, what's one or two things that an employee in a major company can do to uh, start putting themselves in a position to be able to have the, the internal innovation that you were fortunate to be placed in early on? So <clears throat> it's very rarely one person, right? Um, one person can make an impact if they have a strong personality. And so often what happens in large organizations, it's people with big personalities that tend to be leaders. Um, But there's no reason that other people can't be leaders as well. Um, And so, you know, leadership can manifest itself in a lot of ways. Um, Just an example, actually, I was on a 
on a call this morning, uh, we have a, a team doing some work for us. And um, they, I guess, they've been empowered you know, to work out how to solve this particular problem. Okay, yeah. And so what you then end up having is what I call, you know, or you could refer to as like micro leaders, right? Someone will have, someone will make a decision. Someone will have an idea and make a decision. And, um, you know, I talked earlier about leaders often have big personalities. The other aspect about leadership is passion, right? If you believe in something, right. whether it's a big idea or a small idea, um, you know, within a team, if you're able to put passion behind that, um, passion is kind of infectious, yeah. right? Yeah. And so if someone sees that you're talking about something, whether it's big or small, but you really believe in it, that tends to rally people around that idea. And so you can get leaders popping up anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. If they're empowered and they feel passionate about what they're doing. Yeah. So I'm going to build off of that because my, my follow-up question was going to be the opposite side, right? You get the people on the team and they can begin to um, spread this passion. But what about on the reverse side, when you're the, when you're the leader, one of the people running the organization, how do you pass down the, the comfort to these employees to take the chances to look for innovation, for look for opportunities to continue growing, especially in larger companies where that's not necessarily the main topic that normally comes up around a boardroom meeting or something mm -hmm. like that? Um, you know, again, I, it's, there's no one answer to that. Right, right, um, and I always take a very individualistic kind of approach. Um, I, you know, with my teams, I, I'm a curious person by nature. I'm inquisitive. And so I naturally kind of want to get to some details of how people are doing things. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll find that, um, you know, I can, I can set up a vision, a goal of what we want to do, but I like to be involved in it and not in a hands-on way in terms of, um, you know, telling people what to do, okay. but just kind of, you know, going around with team members, you know, asking them what they're working on, looking at what they're doing, asking them questions. And, and, and really quick, is that to, to keep a pulse on, on the team or to just I don't, is it so is it the pulse side or is it the other where you want to make sure that people are going in the right direction? Um, so my, my main motivation for doing that is just my natural curiosity. Okay, all right. Um, and, but as a byproduct of that, I'm showing interest to people that may be working on a tiny bit of a big problem. Um, and so people do, people respond to that. It's that um, you know, they understand that perhaps they're just a cog, right, in a bigger process, um, but I have interest in that. Um, I ask questions, I ask their opinion, um, and in a one-on-one -on -one kind of situation, people, people love to talk about what's going on. And if you create a comfortable environment, people won't just say, oh yes, what we're doing is great. You'll learn some of the, you know, some of the problems, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what you really want to do, right? You want to under, if everyone says yes, very rarely is that the case that everything's going perfectly. <laughs> it's like, what are the real problems, you know? Do, do you think this is the right way to solve it? Um, you know, what, how do you see this playing out? And so that gives you a pulse at you know a smaller level, um, and that's kind of I think the real key to digital transformation and, and wanting to do things differently. You need you need executive support, 
and you need executive interest, but you also need to build up from the lowest levels right down at the grassroots level. Yeah. And then the larger an organization, there's a bigger gap between the executive teams right. and the grassroots yeah. kind of level. Um, and you know, it's often at the grassroots level that those people really understand the fundamentals of a problem that you're trying to solve, or they really understand the problems that customers are having, because they're the ones that are interacting with customers yeah. on okay. a day-to-day basis. Correct. Real customers, not just executive to executive yeah, talking yeah. about customers, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so let's pivot a little bit and go into your personal leadership, because your natural curiosity to, to get in and, and know what's going on at all levels, has that led you to um, stopping a problem before it happens or being able to change a project earlier on because you knew what was going on ahead of time? Yeah, generally you get, um, by doing that, I get an understanding of some details. And, you know, uh, it's great to have a big vision, um, but the devil's often in the details, right? And what is a great idea cannot always be implemented. Or it's during the implementation that you find problems because either the technology's not ready yet, um, you know, customers are not quite ready for that step, um, you know, the processes aren't there, right? Any one of okay. a number of problems. And so um, there have been situations where once you get into details, you, you discover these problems. Um, but by understanding the details and connecting dots to the bigger picture, the problem with, with always being involved in details is that sometimes you just look at the problem from one angle. And so the ability to look from above as mm-hmm. well as being details, um, I've often been in a situation that, you know, either in a technology point of view or a, a business uh, model kind of point of view, that there's a problem because the problem's being looked at from a narrow point of view. Of view. Okay. And so I'm able to, you know, kind of have a conversation, understand, and then look at it from a different angle, which then opens up the eyes of the people working at the detailed level. Oh, right, okay. We've been thinking we have to go A, B, C, D, but you know what? The order is perhaps A, D, you know, B, and we don't have to worry about C, right? right? <laughs> yeah. How do you balance uh, doing both? Getting the uh, outside view and also getting caught up in the details because it's gotta be easy to get caught up one way or another. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question. And, um, you know, often you, you need to be a dreamer. You need to look at things from the, the 30,000 foot level. Okay. Um, but, and then, and that's great. Um, but if you don't understand the details that make it up, you end up selling vaporware. You end up, you know, telling stories that have no, you know, uh, that, that can't be implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, the detail level, it is so easy to get caught up in details and be worried about this tiny thing that's not working or, or this great thing that you've done without relating it back to the context of why you're doing it. So um, the way I do it, actually interesting, I, I found this doing my first startup. Um, my first startup, I was still try- I had a corporate job and I had this idea that I was, okay. I was uh, you know, evolving. Um, and I, I, had, I, was fly, I was traveling a lot. And so um, I'd be locked in a plane and I said that my best ideas came from being in a plane. And 
the reason for that was that I was able, it's, it was easier for me to lock out everything else. I was able to sit there. I couldn't run off. You know, I was in a plane for two hours or four hours or whatever it was. I was stuck in a spot. Um, if I had a window seat, I would spend a lot of time just looking out the window and daydreaming. And so that's how I would get away from details, right? Okay. But I'd be thinking about details from a broader point of view. Then when we landed, I'd be on the phone or I'd be, you know, with a development team and we'd be talking about those details and I was able to bring that kind of, that higher view to that team. So um, I, that's my technique. Um, okay. I don't travel as much as I used to, which is probably a good thing. Travel's not as fun <laughs> as it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, but just find a way to get away. Another way I do it actually now is that I'll just um, I'll often go for a walk. Okay. Um, so if I'm at a client um, or in a corporate office, um, I'll just walk. I'll walk around. I'll, um, the word is perambulate. <laughs> look it up. Um, so I'll perambulate. I'll just walk around and I'll look at what's going on. Um, I may go for a walk outside if it's a nice day. You know, I'll go and get a coffee. I won't always go to the closest Starbucks, right? Um, if I'm working from home, you know, I'll go for a bike ride or a 10-minute walk or something. Yeah. And so, you know, physically get away from the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, s- sitting in front of a screen, um, sitting in meetings can be great, but sometimes you literally need to walk away. So that's that's kind of how I do it. Yeah. So with the plane, your head was literally in the clouds, mm-hmm. but it doesn't need to be. You need yeah. to change the environment of some in some capacity. Yeah. Yep. yep. And uh, yeah, that's the key. Change the environment you're in. And you can change your environment very quickly. Right? Go for a walk outside, yeah. go for a swim, go for a bike ride, drive around the car, whatever it takes for you to do that. Yeah. But change your environment. Right, and find what works for you. Right? Yeah. For you, like you said, it's it's walks, it's getting out, could be a bike ride. It's going to be different for everybody. Right? Yeah. I've heard some people where they, they go for a car ride and they just get out someplace and they'll not have any music on or anything like that. They'll roll the windows down and that's what works for them. So yep. it's going to be different for everybody. Different for everyone. And, and, you know, just experiment. Just try it. What works for you. Right. Yeah. Perfect. So you've had different teams in a lot of different capacities. How has your leadership of teams evolved over time? Because I'm sure you pull lessons from every experience that changes, hey, maybe next time I have a, a, a leadership position or a team, I can, I can implement this that I didn't do in the past. So what were some of those lessons that led to some evolution of your leadership? So I think as time has gone on, I've become uh, more hands-off, Okay. Um, which is empowering teams to do things. Um, but to do that, I think probably what I, I do is I invest a lot in the makeup of those teams. And so um, your teams, teams are filled with people with different personalities. And so I take a very individual approach to understand the personalities of the teams I've got. Now, sometimes you can create your own team, other times you inherit a team, right? So you don't always have a choice of who you pick. Um, So you gotta always work with what you've got, whether you like it or you don't. And so I always like to have teams or understand the complementary skills of teams, right? Um, And, play those off or leverage those complementary skills in a team environment. So you very rarely have everyone that is good at the same thing, right? And so that's where you have these kind of micro leadership roles that that happen. 
and there doesn't have to be one leader. Everyone can be a leader at a different point in time. In their own capacity, exactly. what they do best. Exactly. And so I try and, you know, I try and bring out the best in people, right? I, I don't want to tell people what to do, and I know that people generally don't want to be told what to do. Right. And so, you know, I, perhaps my style is more mentoring, really trying to get the best out of people. And, um, you know, the, the proudest moments you have is when a team just comes up with something, right? And I, I had that situation just this morning, I got off a call um, with one of our development teams. And um, you know, I had outlined, here's what we want to do. We want to set up this demo, this video, we want to yeah. do this kind of thing. And so just broadly outlined what I want to do. Um, they took that and because they were empowered um, and they worked well as a team, they have good complementary skills, um, you know, they came up with a thing that was, that was brilliant. We're doing a little demo, um, and I won't go into too much of the details, okay. but basically involves a drone having a flight. And so one of them had an idea that wouldn't it be cool to, if we demoed this, that if the drone, and as we saw it on the screen, basically outlined the logo of the company. I'm like, that's brilliant. Right. But that, that wasn't my idea. Yeah. That was their idea. And I'm like, how did you guys come up with it? It's like, well, one of them had the idea, someone else threw it out, and it was a combination of three or four people that this idea came out. And so... I'm still, I'm, you know, I'm super excited and just yeah. brimming about yeah, that as an tell. example. <laughs> because what, what a great illustration of people going above and beyond and coming up with something that we're going to show our investors. Um, and it was born at, you know, at, at, at a level of the people who are hands-on, right? Um, and I don't know if I just, I'm lucky or if it's something that I did or if it's something the team did, but it doesn't matter how it... it you know, the end result is what counts there right. and everyone played a part in it and that's what's really exciting about about building a team and having a team like that um, that's all working for each other and with each other um, that's you know you, you can't measure that success right and I think that comes to another thing that we're doing is you know how do you define success right um, you know to me that is a really successful kind of project when we have a team that's pulled together to do something like that. Yeah, I love that because a lot of times, especially on the show, when we talk about success, um, quite often it's personalized and we'll get into that later, but you have a vision of, in a leadership position, what does success look like? And it's being able to empower these uh, the people that are hands-on and giving them the, the comfort to use their skills to make everything better. And uh, is that, in your eyes, a big difference between leadership and management, where you're empowering people versus just telling them what to do? Yeah, I mean, yeah, management, if you think about the word itself, right, managing, um, well, you know, again, there's different, even in a management or as a manager, you can be a leader, right? Right. Um, Every level, every, you know, everywhere can be empowered. Um, and so it just, you need to understand the makeups of your teams, right? You need to understand what is going to motivate a particular individual. What is going to make a particular individual feel empowered? Um, that's probably the best way. Because again, if everyone is working and doing their own things, mm -hmm. right, that, that, you know, they're empowered. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, success, um, you know, the person who had the idea of, of doing the logo, um, you know, they, that, that's a, that's a, they will remember that right. and they will, they will be proud that they had that idea that everyone was excited about mm-hmm. that will stay with them, right? Yeah. So, um, so building, building off of that, uh, we've talked a lot about innovation and uh, you had hinted at kind of transformation and, and digital disruption, things like that. Why has disruption, transformation, why has that been um, a trending theme throughout your entire career? Why is that important to you? Um, I guess I always, I like thinking differently. I, um, firstly, <laughs> I, I tell people inherently I'm very lazy. Right? <laughs> um, and so any, any manual task, I want to automate and I'll spend more time automating something knowing that then I don't have to repeat it again and again Um, I lost my train of thought what was the question again no so that's fine that's fine so uh, disruption transformation that's been an important theme in your life and so I wanted to know why that's been so important to you throughout your career yeah um, I guess um, I'm always challenging the status quo I'm always questioning the assumptions Um, and so, you know, why are we doing this, right? I, I, I revert to my inner two-year-old and ask the favorite question, why, right? It's a very powerful question. So just always questioning what, what you're doing. Just because, you know, I, I hate the, if it's not broke, don't fix it thing, right? Um, it's like, there's always room for improvement. There's always another way. And so you've got to look at both, um, you got to look at on, on many factors, right? Um, processes can change customers can change, technology can change, and so when you take all of those into account, there's mo- there's often, always, a better way of doing something. A better way of doing it from an efficiency point of view, if you're internally focused. A better way of doing it for your customers, so that they have a better experience. Um, a better way of applying technology, because technology has evolved and you know, becomes more powerful. So. You're generally looking at things on, yeah, I look at it from a customer point of view, an internal operational efficiency point of view, um, and from a technology point of view. And then when you look at that, those three aspects, then perhaps there's a new business model, there's a new financial model that falls out. So looking at improvement on, on all those levels. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes back to the building teams of getting the people that have different strengths so you can hit on those different things, right? If everybody has the same track or, or same mindset, you're not gonna be able to have the same innovation because quite possibly you don't have that person that's gonna come up with the, the logo idea on there if everybody is in a, a different type of mentality. Yep. Um, have, has that been, building teams, has that been something that you focused on all along was let me surround myself with people with different strengths or was that something you learned along the way? Um, bit of both. Um, I, I recognize I can't be an expert in everything. Um, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room about a particular thing, right? So, um, generally, it's always good to have an outsider, right? If you have experts all the time, experts are great and you need experts, but tend to look at problems a little bit more narrowly, right? And so, I like to have outsiders, generally, 
I'm the one that plays the role of an outsider, um, you know, outsider to an industry, outsider mm-hmm. to that particular company. Um, but you, you always need a couple of outsiders, um, not too many, because right. <laughs> then you may not get stuffed up. Uh, but a couple of outsiders, so you have that outside view. Um, and but you need you need experts, whether it's a technology expert, whether it's a domain expert, right? They're the ones that hold the knowledge. And so again, it's it's building an environment that you know, as an outsider or as a facilitator, that you can bring out the best in all of those experts, mm-hmm. whether it's you know the technology, whether it's understanding the company culture, understanding the history of the company. Well, we tried that five years ago, it's not gonna work. Well, why didn't it work five years ago? And getting into the history of that, and then you okay. realize, well, actually, that's probably why it didn't work. If we try again, there's every chance that we'll be successful this time. Yeah. Uh, on a personal level, because you've been in, in different industries, and obviously it sounds like you like and enjoy the, uh, the position of being the outsider. Um, so do you purposely go out and find the next, the next opportunity as ways where it's a different industry, it's something that you're interested in but haven't quite experienced yet? Um, I love being thrown into an environment that I know nothing about the industry. Okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I guess because I'm curious and, um, you know, I have the ability to quickly catch on to, you know, the concepts and, and the differences in industries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, a, it, it, it's funny, everyone in an industry, you know, they generally think that we're the experts in the industry, you know, how can you possibly help, help me? Um, I've been a lot involved a lot in financial services, but I got thrown into healthcare recently, um, a couple of years back. And, um, you know, I kind of looked at it as a challenge, like, okay, right, I've never had to be involved. It's never really interested me, but okay, here's an opportunity. So I jumped in um, and kind of quickly made a lot of parallels between financial services and healthcare, right? Both very conservative, you know, industries, um, both where industries where there's a lot of experts, um, you know, the experts tend to think that they know everything and how can anyone else possibly kind of help me? So a lot of parallels. And when I pointed this out to some people in healthcare, I'm like, you know, you guys are not very different from the financial services people <laughs> I was working with. And they'd be like, oh, we're nothing alike. And then I'd just go through, you know, those three or four yeah. points. They'd be like, yeah, well, perhaps there is, right? Um, and so, you know, perhaps the, the, the skills and, and what I bring to that is the, the ability to look beyond what the specific problem is and apply general principles and learnings from other industries. And that cross-pollination between industries is kind of good, right? We can all learn, right? Life is a continuous learning experience. Um, And you never know from who you can learn from, whether it's a different industry, whether it's a different individual, right? A different company. Yeah. It's getting out of the comfort zone and and experiencing new things comes naturally to you, uh, or it seems, appears to anyways. Whereas a lot of people they like to stay in their comfort zone. They don't want to test the waters outside. Um, is that actually natural for you? Is it just, is it the way that you were raised? Where did that come about? Yeah, I, I don't know. So I suspect, um, I suspect it's a lot to do with, I, I was raised bilingual, bicultural. So my okay. father's Australian, my mother's French. Um, I grew up mainly in Australia, but spent a lot of time in France. Okay. Um, 
And so that probably had a lot to do with it. Um, I guess I have a natural inner confidence. And so my mother tells a good story that when I was young, um, she was walking me to school one day and I've always spoken to my mother in French. In fact, my first language was French. My, literally, my mother tongue was okay. French. Yeah. So we always spoke to her in, in French. And so she picked me up from school one day and we were walking home and she started talking to me in English. And I just responded to her in French. I'm like, Mum, why are you talking to me in English? We always speak French. And so she was talking to me in English because she didn't want to feel different or didn't want me to feel different you know, walking home and being with all the other kids that only spoke English. And I just turned around and said, why are we speaking French? We always do that, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I guess perhaps that had some inner confidence or was just natural for me to speak French to my mother, right. even though I was living in, a, in an English-speaking world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of, I, I really enjoy living here. Um, I, you know, I enjoy being a foreigner. Um, obviously speaking English in the English speaking world is, is, is easy, but, and I have a different accent, but I, I kind of enjoy it. (laughs) So I would say to anyone out there, um, you know, don't, don't be shy. Don't be reserved, right? Find, find either a topic or an environment that you feel comfortable in and then just try and, you know, try and push the envelope, Mm -hmm. try and get out there a little bit more and see how it feels. And if you like it well then start doing it in other environments. But again, life is a learning experience and you don't learn if you're always in your own cocoon and you don't get out of there. So you gotta, you gotta, you know, be prepared to, you know, get something wrong, to fail, to embarrass yourself a little bit, right? But unless you try, you don't know what you can do. Yeah, and and just to continuously be growing in your life. Yeah, 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 interesting. Um, Okay, so I wanna pivot back to, uh, I, I got you off on a tangent. Sorry about that. But I think we've been going off on many tangents. I know you had a few questions written down. <laughs> that doesn't we've probably gone all over the place. That's good. That's, <laughs> that means that's a good a, a good conversation. Um, but getting back to the disruption uh, and transformation, um, it's easy to talk about these things. But your the company that you're the startup that you're uh, working with is actually doing things. Yep. And, and so why do you see a lot of the talk? And I know we talked a little bit at the beginning of this, but why do we see the talk instead of seeing action? And, and then we'll kind of, I've got to follow up from there. Yep. Um, great point. I was just at a conference last week, um, you know, about digital transformation targeted at, at corporates, at incumbents. Um, and it comes back to, again, that protectionist mode, where you are, right? And so... Um, you know, organizations are risk adverse, right? Um, you don't want to make a decision if it's going to fail. It's kind of like the baseline. And so people go to a lot of conferences, hear a lot of people talking to kind of reassure them that, oh, okay, others are doing that. Perhaps we can do it. Um, I'm a, as you can see, I'm a roll up your sleeves kind of guy. I'll just get in there, right? The best way to learn is just to, to kind of get in there to I love talking to people um, in different industries. Um, so my my process, uh, I guess, when I enter, you know, either a new company, uh, whether it's as an employee, whether it's as a consultant, whether it's an advisor in a startup or whatever, is that I talk to people. And so I talk to people within the company. I talk to customers. Uh, I talk to vendors. So I talk to a cross section of people. Um, 
just to to learn what they're doing, how they're helping this process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll just kind of, I love doing workshops and I've got to have a lot of whiteboards. I'll just get up, talk to people, yeah. uh, question people. Um, and actually, interesting, I, I don't do that much talking. I ask questions and I listen. Um, and that's kind of the key, yeah. is just listening to what people, people are saying. So yeah, I just love to jump in and say, there's a problem, let's not pontificate it, let's not be in a dark room trying to solve it, let's get out there, talk to everyone about it, mm-hmm. get it out there. Transparency is always something that, uh, that I talk about and use, um, and let's just, let's just do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, today we get to flip the role. I get to be the one asking the questions, listening, you get to be the one talking. Yeah, I don't think I've talked this one for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. Um, we talked a little bit prior to, to turning this in on about um, larger companies, how they can how they can lead towards transformation and sending people to, to seminars and travel and things like that. Um, what are some of those big things that you think the major corporations should do so they're not gobbled up 10 years from now by a smaller company that was willing to evolve? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have kind of a... A, a, a hypothesis um, that you know we either need to prove or disprove, but um, and thinking at a, at a macro level, right? <clears throat> An organization, um, while it's enjoying excess profits and excess margins, it should be reinvesting that in the company of tomorrow. So rather than thinking about how will this company be in ten years' time, um, let's keep this company going. It's excess cash flow, it's excess margins, basically invest in what that company is gonna be for tomorrow. Because very rarely, we see graphs, you know, we always like looking at images, very rarely is the graph, you know, this nice linear kind of line, right? Um, Generally it's steps, right? You get to a point, you take a big step, right? You kind of stumble, and the steps aren't always nice, right? They're jagged steps, they're broken (laughs) steps, and so, you know, build for tomorrow. And so it may be the current company that evolves into this new company you're creating. It may be the old product that's evolving into the new product that you're building. But you've got to think of a stepwise approach and you've got to take risks. And sometimes it'll work, sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, people don't like, large organizations, don't shareholders don't like hearing that. Um, but remember, risk is, risk is, um, there's a very easy formula. Risk is not just this thing. Risk is a, a, is a function of probability and consequence. Mm-hmm. So you can manage risk by managing you know, the probability of occurrence and the consequences of getting things wrong or right. Yeah. And so just look at, just don't think, have a big vision, but take a stepwise approach on how you can get there. Yeah. Well, and you, you talk about risk and how it can be managed. There's, <clears throat> there's also different types of risk, right? So maybe they don't want to take a risk today because they're currently excess uh, cash flow and things like that, but that means they're missing out on the opportunity. So there's opportunity risk, yep. and then you turn into the blockbusters of the world where eventually you were comfortable here because you were excess and so you didn't change at all. 10 years from now, you're out of business because you weren't willing to take managed risk at the right time. Well, the classic story there is Kodak, right? Yeah. And Kodak actually, a guy in Kodak actually invented the digital camera. And um, the thought process at the time was like, well, that'll, you know, that'll cannibalize and kill our existing business. No, let's not do it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Yeah, they literally created the next technology and didn't want to do it because it was going to ruin their yep. their original business. And it happened anyway. And so obviously hindsight, you know, is it's, yep. it's easy to look at. But if they had recognized that um, and promoted that, and you know, it doesn't happen overnight. Businesses don't drop off overnight. Blockbuster, Kodak. But you manage that process, understand that, again, I have excess margins, I have a great business here, but let's use that to fund the next business. Yep. Um, it's also, we're seeing the opposite of that too with, uh, with Google and how they turned into Alphabet because yep. they had so many different ventures that are trying to create the next technology that it was almost muddying the waters for what Google as an original company did. So they separated it out and said, okay, Google, you do this and our other ventures will do other things. They're doing exactly what you said, build build from the original company into what's gonna to happen tomorrow. Yep, and what the interesting thing there is the, uh, that we haven't talked about is focus, right? And so um, their, you know, Google's model is providing them the ability to focus in a number of different areas, right? Um, focus is hard, especially in a startup, right? Um, you're running into the last idea, what the last customer said. And so you've got to be, again, open-minded to listening to all this stuff, but be fairly disciplined in your focus. And so focus doesn't have to be focused for 12 months. Focus can be just, let's focus on this problem. Let's focus on this aspect of what we're doing. Take a step back and say, right, do we keep focusing on that? Do we focus on something else? So mm-hmm. as Google have done, they focus on a number of different things. Yep. Um, easier for Google to do. They have thousands of employees. How does that become practical? Or let's make this a little more tactical for the startups or the smaller companies. How can they focus on different areas without spreading themselves too thin? So what I, um, what I, what I do is I, I, I have a, I guess I call it, a portfolio of digital experiments. Okay, you can get rid of the digital, but everyone's using digital. So yeah, yeah. have a portfolio of experiments. Um, and you know, experiments start off, you start off with a hypothesis, right? And a hypothesis, you either prove or disprove it, yep. right? Um, and so that's how, that's how you can be very focused on a problem, a project, um, a product, you know, whatever it is, but come up with a hypothesis and come up with an experiment to either prove or disprove that. And that's the first step. And so, you know, from there, and that doesn't have to be a long drawn out process. You don't need thousands of people involved and consultants and stuff. You can kind of do that pretty easily. So here's my idea. How can we work out whether it's a good idea or not? (laughs) So when you're advising startups, say small team, less than 10 employees or less than 10 people on the team, and they have this grandiose vision of what it's going to take to become a $100 million company, and it's got all these different revenue streams. Do you advise them to find that one or two of what's going to be the staple of their, their company and focus solely on that? Or, or how do you balance that, I guess? Um, it, can't, it depends. Um, so firstly is how big of a vision does that company have? Okay. Right. Is it just a product? Meaning what they eventually want to get to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so if it's uh, if it's just a product, it's a little bit different. So it's like, let's try out um, features. Let's understand what the benefits are. Yeah. Right? Um, if it's a bigger vision, like the current startup it is, um, 
I try and understand what are all the potential friction points or what are all the potential components that need to come together in this ecosystem that they're working with and try and do these experiments or do these experiments to illustrate the different those different friction points or those different elements and so then you can connect the dots and you can have you know, this this broad number of different experiments um, illustrates what is possible right okay. and so people like to just showing your PowerPoint is not always good enough but if you come up with a simple prototype for example um, or a simple customer story um, or the way you've rethought a process if you can illustrate that in a way um, that's very powerful yeah, yeah. And, and you can almost from the sounds of it is and build off it if I'm, I'm going the wrong direction but it sounds like you're saying for the people that have the companies or startups that have that that large vision they want to get somewhere major that you're starting at at the nucleus you're starting at the core and you're almost creating this is what the journey is going to look like to get there and here's the steps along the way <clears throat> excuse me the steps along the way of what they need to do to get there those friction points what are those potential hurdles down the road um, so when you see those friction points and you say hey here's a hurdle we're going to have to tackle um, how do you handle going into those things and I know it's case by case scenario but in general how do you how do you say we know we're going to hit this hurdle down the road how are we going to approach it um, so always look at you know that hurdle that opportunity is that now is that later um, and a prioritization right? you don't need to have all the answers um, but what you need to do is have an approach of how you're going to tackle that problem. So if the problem's now, we tackle it now. If we recognize that that's an issue, but you know what, it's not going to be an issue until we have 100,000 customers. It's like, okay, let's flag that. Here's what we're going to need to do in broad terms in order to tackle that. Boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. um, Let's solve that problem when we get to it. Right, <laughs> right. that's a good problem to have. Right? Yeah. The ones down the road, hey, once we hit 100,000 customers, yeah. you just want to get there. Yeah. But you don't want to get there blind either. Yeah. So that, that makes sense, laying out some broad, once we get there, we know the basic, basics of where we need to start. Yeah. You need to identify that will be an issue, <clears throat> identify the process or you know the, the way that you believe you'll go about solving it because you know, partners, investors, customers, they want to know that you're thinking about that down the track, um, but you don't have to have the answer right now. Right, right. but as long as an advisor like you or an outside investor, as long as they know, hey, we understand this is coming and, and it's one of the things that we need to approach, at least from an outside perspective, you know, hey, they, they're prepared for, for being able to, uh, to fix that when they get there. And you give people, you know, investors, customers, confidence in that by addressing a short-term problem and taking them through how you've solved that problem. And so that then becomes kind of the model or an illustration of how you will go about solving that bigger problem down the track. And it gives people confidence. Okay, you guys, you guys saw this and you guys have done a great job solving this little product problem or this little issue here. Um, I understand the approach, I understand what you mean when you get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, with the, the startups that you've uh, advised on or worked with in any type of capacity, um, 
have you seen a correlation with the ones that can handle those small projects and their their problem solving? That if they're just good problem solvers, they're going to be able to solve problems no matter what the size. Um, have you seen that type of correlation? Um, so you've got a problem solving is a is a very good trait to have, right? Because you're always coming up with problems. Um, I guess it's the ability to manage that problem solving process and keep that ability of seeing the big picture with the details. Um, so, you know, a, an example of, of problem solving and it it's relates to, to my startup right now. Um, I, I, I can talk generally about, I can't be too specific, That's but um, by taking a very pragmatic, hands-on approach of solving micro problems and not trying to solve them to the nth degree, but just to kind of illustrate how we can get over that hurdle. Um, the startup we're working on now in you know, three or four months, um, we've come further along in terms of solving a really large scale problem um, than NASA has in the last four years. Um, and so I think that's by taking, you know, NASA as an example of a very conservative kind of environment um, and they're trying to solve a problem to all its detail and obviously that takes a long time to do that right? yeah. if you're solving all the details and so patching together the overall set of problems that need to be resolved you know yeah. to, 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 to get forward right. um, yet yeah, you either research it or you do it <laughs> <laughs> Um, and coming back to what I said earlier, I think you learn more from your mistakes, you learn more by being hands-on and doing something than, uh, than, than thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, perfect. All right, I want to, to pivot more into the kind of principles and philosophies a little bit. Um, so the first one, we'll start this off, and, and I'm going to do this section a little bit different than normal, but I want to start with how you define success in your life. <clears throat> um, so I guess success can be measured in a number of different ways um, and you know a lot of people measure success by a number with a generally a dollar sign in front right, of it right right, right. Um, and that's a that's an external view of success it's a very way an easy way to, to to quantify how you've been successful you know my startup sold for x millions of dollars right um, Another way of looking at success is, and the way I kind of look at it is, um, how many people did, did I impact along the way? Whether they were customers, whether they were people working with me, for me, um, around me, right? And I, one of the biggest satisfactions I get is when someone comes up to me you know, years later and they kind of say, Eric, I really enjoyed working with you. We did some really cool stuff, right? Do you remember the time we did X, Y, and Z, right? Um, that has more satisfaction to me than, you know, a dollar sign and lots of zeros. Yeah, would love to have that. But right, right, right. <laughs> but per, I, so I get, you know, to, to me, success, I personalize it, right? I, I, as I said, I like to see the impact yep. that I've had or the influence that I've had with people. Mm -hmm. So throughout your life, Career life could be could be either. Um, how have you been able to maintain focus on your priorities? What's most important to you in your life? Um, priorities change. I have different priorities yeah. depending on the different time in my life. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a planner. I don't have 
a long-term plan of where I want to be because honestly um, it's too hard to predict that or if you have that hard, if you have that plan and things change then what do you say I've had this plan for 10 years and now I'm not doing it uh, is that good or bad right um, so I'm kind of I refer to myself as a nowist. <laughs> okay. um, I look at today, I look tomorrow, um, you know, I look at the future, but I kind of I kind of go with the flow. Um, and, you know, I guess there's short-term goals um, that you look at, or there's, there's things that you, you want to accomplish. Um, I kind of I kind of look at that. So I don't think too far ahead. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you had struggles along the way of maintaining that focus on, on your priorities? Because and I know that the priorities change, but um, have you been been able to maintain that focus, or have there there been struggles kind of along the way? Um, you know, when things are when things are not going well, like when a when a when a business is not going well, um, that gets hard, um, and so there's struggles there, and so I guess that's when you just kind of modify. The time horizon that you're looking at. Am I looking at just every day as it comes? Am I looking at what happens next week? Or, right, I need to think beyond that. I need to think about next year, or perhaps I need to start thinking about the next thing if this thing's not going to work out. So, um, you know, treat each situation with the dynamics that are going on at the time. Yeah, well, perfect. All right, so final one here. You and I are sitting here three years from now what happened in that time period to where you can look back and say that was a, a successful time in my life um i would like to see the stuff that i'm working on now be that i can talk more openly about, about okay. it or you know you can say hey eric i'm really loving that product that you were working on that you worked on and uh, actually that's one of my startups um, i bumped into a guy you know many years later and you know it was kind of telling him about what I've done and he's like I use that service I remember that that was really good um, I hope to have that conversation okay. with you <laughs> perfect. perfect I like it um, anything else that you want to lead people or leave people with and then we'll talk about where they can follow you um, I don't know this has been a bit of a, a random all over there conversation yeah. um, hopefully there's enough I would say if anyone's interested in, in chatting to me, reach out to, to you and me. Okay, perfect. And we'll leave uh, whatever contact information that you want in there uh, in the show notes. Any place in particular that they should go and follow you? Uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. Okay, and we'll put your, your handles in there. So, sure. Perfect. Thank Excellent. you. Thanks very much. It's been yeah. fun. Okay.